Good evening. Um, love you guys a ton. We'll uh, pray and then jump in. Uh, Father, um, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you, um, you do. You love us deeply. You know us perfectly. And um, I just pray for your grace over us tonight. I pray, Spirit, that you would um, convict us where we need convicting, that you would encourage us where we need encouraging. Jesus, would you let us love well. Let us love you. Let us love people. Um, please help me. Help me love well, um, to, to speak truthfully, to speak graciously, to um, make much of you. We love you in your beautiful name. Amen. Um, well, it is. It's so fun to be with you guys. We're from Los Angeles, um, Jill, Ryan, Paolo, and we've been out since Saturday. And we, Paolo and I, we head out to Cape Town tomorrow. And then Ryan and Jill are unfortunately heading home. So um, they were like, we don't need Cape Town. Um, <laughs> We we hear it's you know whatever um, so um, it is it's a privilege to be here tonight and then to to talk and I I want to just start the evening off with this um, I am not the leading expert on this conversation I don't have every answer figured out um, this isn't the final word on the conversation this isn't going to be like thirty years later remember we had that one sermon. That's all we needed. Um, this is really a, a beginning for many of you, a conversation. And um, at the end of the night, I mean, I'm, I'm down to hang out as long as you want. Um, I'll give you my email address. I'm happy to, to chat in the future. Uh, don't pretend to answer every single question you have tonight. I'm, I'm going to do my best. Um, but here's the thing. I, for me, the, the homosexuality is not just a, a topic in the clouds. Uh, it's something very near to my heart. I have uh, several family members that, that are gay. Uh, my brother is gay, and um, I, we grew up in a religious home, and it, it was um, just crushing uh, to him. And, um, and I have close friends that are gay and have grown up around or in religious homes and, and have been absolutely crushed. Um, so this is not something like I just studied a bunch of books and now I'm here to give out answers. This is something that I feel deeply about and, and I really think it's appropriate and necessary that I would even start off by apologizing uh, to some of you um, as on behalf of Christians, on behalf of Christianity, uh, to some of you who have been so hurt by the church. Um, for those of you who have um, maybe were bullied picked on growing up because your um, sexual, your gender didn't match the stereotypes according to South African culture and you were picked on. Um, maybe it was because um, you came out and you, you, you shared the deepest, darkest secret of your entire life with friends or a family member and instead of being met with love, you were met with condemnation. Um, I'm sorry for those of you who have legitimately contemplated suicide because you thought that it might be better to die than to continue living the struggle that you're living. And I, I just apologize on behalf of the church for, for probably just not loving you well, for not listening and just talking at you. Um, so, so please forgive me, please forgive us. And, and my desire this evening is to really jump into the scriptures, is, is to be full of grace and full of truth. 
and then talk around how does Jesus view the LGBT community? How does Jesus view you? How does he view me? Um, and I, I really believe that this should be helpful for all of us, no matter where you're at. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Romans chapter 1 for a little bit. Romans chapter 1, um, excuse me, I, we're, I picked the ESV, you guys are usually NIV, I didn't, ESV, okay, great, um, if you've got the ESV, great, there's some excellent translations out there, um, glad to hear that, uh, sweet. So what we're going to do is just read Romans 1. Um, Romans 1 is kind of one of those, if you've studied uh, Christianity and homosexuality, Romans 1 is generally the passage uh, that, that you run to. Uh, and I think it's a very, very crucial, probably the most important passage in the Bible when it comes to homosexuality. So um, we're going to dive in. But unfortunately, a lot of times when I enter into a conversation about this in the scriptures, only a section of Romans 1 is is used. And I, I think that in order to get a little bit more context and to see the truth of it is to actually start a few verses back and then end a few verses later. So um, we're going to be reading Romans 1. And we'll start in verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago, writing the letter to the church at Rome. Um, And here's what he says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's keep going. One more verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So pause. The gospel, the good news about Jesus. The good news that God sent his own son to live the perfect life that none of us could live. Died the death that all of us deserved. Rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and Satan. Offering life, offering salvation, offering his spirit, offering his kingdom to anyone. Offering to everyone those who would believe in him, those who would trust in him. There's no asterisk next to everyone that says except for those who are in the community of LGBTQ. It says it is for everyone. The good news of Jesus is for everyone. It's for members in the LGBTQ community. It is for prostitutes. It is for tax collectors. It is for religious, self-righteous men and women who are really nervous where I'm about to go. It's for everybody. It's good news. He loves us deeply. And it says there's two types of people. There's righteous people and there's unrighteous people. It doesn't say there's two types of people, heterosexual people and homosexual people. Two types of people. There's righteous and unrighteous. There are people who stand in a right relationship with God and there's people who do not stand in a right relationship with God and it has nothing to do with a sexual orientation. It has to do with whether or not your faith is in Jesus Christ. You may be really moral. 
You may be good. You may not cheat on your taxes. You may be awesome and nice to your neighbors. But if you don't have faith in Jesus, you are unrighteous. You are not in a right relationship with God. You cannot save yourselves by your works, but only by the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. And leaning and trusting on him in everything. And you may be struggling with anything. But if your faith is in Jesus Christ, if you trust him to be your salvation, your righteousness, your life, your obedience, we're righteous. We stand right before him. So let's continue. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, the unrighteous, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, the unrighteous, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, the righteous and the unrighteous. The unrighteous have known. God has revealed it to all that he is creator. They can know about God. Everyone can know about God by walking outside. They might not know enough about God, but they know that God exists. They know that God created the world, and they have to suppress the truth. No, there is no God because I want to be God. That's the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. The righteous goes, I need a God. Save me. The unrighteous goes, I'll be God. I do life however I want to do it. And they've rejected and they've suppressed the truth and they've exchanged the glory of God, the creation for the creature, creation for the creator. And this is not good. And Paul continues. Verse 26. Now he's going to unpack what some of the unrighteous have done. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Okay, so righteous, unrighteous, and some of these unrighteous live out a lifestyle of practicing homosexual actions, lust and deed. And, and, and four times in that short passage, this is not a neutral thing in God's eyes. It is something that, that Paul says um, that it is a dishonorable passion. They exchange natural relations for things contrary to nature. They were consumed with these passions. They committed shameless acts, and these were errors. Okay, so, so he's going to later go on to other types of sins, but he he does lay out here in Romans one that one type of unrighteousness, one way of living a life 
of rejecting God, of me going, I'm my own God, is rejecting God's way that he created man and woman to be. And that is going, I'm God, I do whatever I want. If I want man, I get man. If I want woman, I get woman. I don't listen to the creator because I'm the king. And Paul says God gave them up to their passions. As, as a dad who loves my children deeply, I, I understand a glimpse of this. Just a few weeks ago, my boy, I've got a boy who's five and a girl who's four. We were crazy and should have waited a little bit more time. But um, they are in the same bedroom and their beds are about this far uh, apart. And my boy loves jumping from one to the other. And he knows he's not supposed to do that. And he does it all the time. And I'm like, buddy, stop doing that. Don't do it again. And the other night, he goes, can I do it one more time? And I just like, just stare at him. And he jumps. And he hits hard. Wind knocked out of his stomach, falls to the ground, and looks at me in fear. Like, I shouldn't have done that. I gave him up to his own desire. It's like, dude, I've told you a billion times, stop. And, and here's the thing, as a parent, I don't have to rub that in his face. I actually don't think it's loving or gracious to rub it in his face. He knows in the moment. He shouldn't have done it. But I'm not going to monitor him 24-7 and make sure he doesn't keep doing it. He is going to learn somehow. And God lovingly just goes, fine. You're not going to listen to me. Just fine. He gives you up. And this is his passive wrath. Sometimes we see God's wrath active and terrifying in the Old Testament. And other times it's passive. And he just goes, fine, just do whatever you want. You're not going to listen to me. You're not going to trust me. You don't want me. Just go. Like the father and the prodigal son. Dad, forget you. I want your money. And the father goes, fine. He gives them up. But, there's so much here, and we don't have all the time in the world. Um, there's a lot of debates about this, and I don't know where you guys are at. Some of you guys, um, we're all over the place, but some of you guys are like, well, I've done the studying, and maybe that didn't mean that contextually, culturally, 2,000 years ago. There was a lot of relationships between older men and slave boys and um, all these types of things. I, those are valid arguments that I would love to sit down and talk through. Um, Preston Sprinkle wrote a book called People to be Loved, and it's a tremendous book. I, I highly recommend it. He's, he's a friend of mine. He's a PhD, brilliant New Testament theologian, um, and he just dives into the culture of 2,000 years ago, Rome, first century, and he just makes it very clear through writings, even like Aristotle and Plato, that, that there was, there, we, they knew about things such as same sexual orientation, same sexual desire. Um, it was Aristotle and his ethics. He writes about how some uh, in, engage in homosexual acts just because that's the habits that they formed and others do it out of nature. So, so they had some concept for it. And oftentimes like, well, they don't know what we know now. And, and, and there is some, some truth. Like 2,000 years ago, we, we, we know a little bit more um, than, than others did. But, but there were even such things as same-sex, like monogamous relationships. Plato writes about it in, in the symposium. He talks about two lifelong lovers. 
So oftentimes we kind of go, well, they were dumb back then. They didn't understand the times. It's like, well, actually, um, there's quite a bit of context culturally that says they, 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 they kind of knew what was going on. And there were differences in some ways, but to pretend that the Apostle Paul had zero context for same-sex relationships is culturally ignorant. Uh, Nero, the emperor, got married twice to two different men publicly in, in Rome. Uh, so, so this, this was not like, oh, they don't know what it's like. Um, I, I really believe that there was some context that Paul's writing this into. And it wasn't just an argument based on culture, but it's an argument based on creation. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's going, this is unnatural. This is not the way God naturally created relationships to work. And there are times in the Bible where there are cultural arguments. I think First Peter 3, when he says, hey, women, don't, don't braid your hair and wear gold jewelry. He doesn't go, because God doesn't braid his hair or wear gold jewelry. It seems to be a very clear cultural argument that there were probably women who would compete in these beauty contests and cared so much about their external appearances, and they would act in this way. And Paul, Peter's going, no, 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 don't do that. We're different in the church. You don't have to get the acceptance of others because you have the acceptance of God. But then there are times there are arguments based in creation. This is not the way God created things to be, and I'm convinced this is what Paul's doing in Romans 1, saying it's not natural. But he doesn't finish with that. Verse 28, he goes on. He says this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy. This is the unrighteous. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. You should find yourself somewhere in that list. If not, you're not welcome here. I mean, this, this, is, this is it. It's one of. This is what an unrighteous life looks like. And, and, and if we're all honest, we can be like, oh man, disobedience to parents in the same paragraph? I mean, Paul's saying anything not done in faith, anything not submission to the King Jesus, it's wickedness. Yet so often in the church we've gone, well, here's the biggest sin. It's, it's all in there, friends. You are in there and desperately in need of Jesus and his grace as much as anyone else. 32. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So, here's what I want to do. Uh, Paolo is going to share his story in just a few minutes, um, but, but I want to spend just a, a little bit of time unpacking some misconceptions around homosexuality. I'm convinced that the, te- the, the, the scriptures teach um, that, that homosexual practice, the practice of, of gay sex, if you will, and the lust for that is sin, but there are so many misconceptions that ruin so much in the culture of churches. And, and I, I know for sure in America, and I know in South Africa, and I know just kind of around generally that, that we have so many misconceptions, and it is so, so ugly. So here's the first misconception I believe that, that many believe. First misconception is that same-sex attraction is sinful. It's a misconception to believe that same-sex attraction is sinful. The Bible never once uses the phrase, homosexuality is sin. 
always, every single time, it's tied to the action of homosexuality, men lying with men, the practice of homosexuality. It's not just this thing, okay? That the orientation, the the desire even, that that in and of itself is not necessarily sin. It can become sin if it's a lust or it is acted upon, but it's not necessarily sin. And I know that might sound crazy to some of you, but let's look to James chapter 1 real quick. James chapter 1 is so helpful when it comes to this. In James 1 verse 13, James says this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So, if you are tempted towards something, is it sin? Hebrews 4, Jesus was tempted in every single way, but was without sin. Temptation even desire before it is conceived, which we can talk about for a long time, is not necessarily sin until it is conceived. And this is one of the greatest lies I'm convinced of Satan. That even a temptation, whether it is gay or heterosexual, homosexual, wherever you're at, the moment you are tempted toward sin, you immediately think, oh, well, I'm, I'm done for, so I might as well keep going. Satan's like, yep, good job. Jesus was tempted. He was tempted, but he did not sin. He said no to it. So same-sex attraction, even in and of itself, to say gay, being gay is sin. We just have to define terms. What do you mean? Sometimes people mean living a gay life in the sense of having sex with the same sex. Yes, sin. Being gay, just an attraction and a temptation towards this same gender, I do not believe it's sin. And I think the moment that we say being gay is sin. I mean, imagine if you were heterosexual and you heard that. Being heterosexual is sin. Like, well, I can't do anything about that. So that's pointless. Now, if someone's like, well, having sex with a woman is sin. It's like, well, I can do something about that. But, but, but just I, like, like who I am, my orientation, my desire in and of itself is not sin. So we have to be careful with our words. Another misconception is that gay sin is the worst sin. You just saw it in Romans 1. It's, it's a part of the list. I'll show you one other time in 1 Timothy 1. It, it's just thrown into a list of sins. 1 Timothy 1, verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted." Does anyone's Bible bold or underline men who practice homosexuality? No. Liars. It's in the same list. 
I mean, this is, this is not, the, the church for so long has kind of done, well, this is the big one. No. Westboro Baptist. Do you guys have any context for, yeah, okay, they're famous. God, help us. Um, they're, they're the crew from America, I'm sorry. Um, and they go and picket funerals and God hates fags with their signs and they quote Leviticus 20 that says that men lying with men is an abomination to God. Leviticus does say that. But guess what? Proverbs 6 tells us that there's six things that God hates. Seven things that are an abomination to Him. Homosexuality is not on the list. But pride is. Lying is. Division is. All sin is an abomination to God. It's all an abomination to God. That's why we desperately need Jesus. There are not rankings like this when it comes to sin. So gay sin is not the worst sin. I mean, I've heard devastating stories of gay men and women who have wanted to even serve in the church, who have said no, they want to be celibate, they want to trust Jesus, but because they're gay, they can't like serve in kids' ministry or stack the chairs. Like, Like, what are we doing? This is, this is not its own thing. It's a part of human nature that needs to be put to death, but it is not in its own ranking. We have to be so careful about that. Another misconception is that gay people must change before they go to church. They must change before they show up to church. This is a lie from Satan. You guys, you guys know the story of the Apostle Paul, Saul, Tarsus. Do you guys know when Jesus saved him? When he was murdering Christians. Murdering God's kids. Jesus shows up goes, that's it. No more. You're on my team. Stop. Does not show up and go, hey man, um, so your track record is struggling. <laughs> so two month probation. I want to save you, but I need to see if you're going to be true. So, if you can go two months without killing anybody, I'm going to use you as an apostle. No, he shows up and goes, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's saved. The idea that men and women need to change in order to hear the gospel is crazy. The idea that they need to change who they are in order to hear Jesus, to enter this room is insane. Come. Let you hear about Jesus. And I know Grant. I know Shell. They want you to be here. They want you to hear the message of Jesus Christ. Yes, conversations will happen. And they're beautiful and necessary conversations. That's why I want to bring up Paolo. Paolo is a dude who, um, I'm not going to ruin his story. Paolo. <laughs> And then I'll jump back up after. Love you. Love you. Do wherever you want. Hi, guys. Um, so as, like they said, my name is Paolo. Um, born and raised in Southern California. I, uh, I was born to a very big uh, traditional Italian Catholic family. I am one of seven kids, the very last Lucky number seven. Um, So yeah, so grew up in a very traditional Italian Catholic family. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of backstory, um, 
Italian Catholics, uh, male do male things and females do female things. Um, there wasn't a time where, you know, you can be caught in the middle where you can kind of get away with stuff. Um, you either you either fall into those two categories and you live in that type of uh, world. You get married, you, um, you have as many kids as you can, and that was the ultimate sign of success and of a beautiful life. Um, so growing up in that family, um, you know, my, my brothers are very masculine. They, um, they played soccer, they loved women, they wore flannel at times. <laughs> so um, I kind of had to do all of that. I, um, I played sports, and as a, at a very young age, I was put into soccer. Um, didn't quite work out. I played for a season. Uh, plot twist, I'm not a soccer superstar. <laughs> um, so at a very young age, I knew I didn't fit in to that stereotypical kind of male category. Um, I knew very early on I wasn't necessarily attracted to women. Um, I also knew very early on I needed to slip under the radar. I didn't want to be noticed by anyone. So I fortunately, unfortunately, my brother's um, were also got into a lot of trouble. I have five older brothers, one sister, and they kind of took on the. Um, they basically got the spotlight from my from my parents. Um, so it was really easy for me to not get noticed, to not have that exposure, anything like that. And so um, I really enjoyed that. Um, so through those times, um, I kept everything to myself. Everything was a secret. And that was my sexuality. I knew from a very young age that I had an attraction towards men. Um, but I pushed it as far and deep as I can. It was the very at the very corner of my brain. Um, and I lived the rest of my life that way. I, I dated women when I could. Um, I thought I was in love, but I was more... Um, I enjoyed more how they did their hair and how they wore their makeup, and I thought that's what love was. Um, so I just, I wanted to fool everyone because I thought that I was, you know, going to get away with it. I thought that um, I would probably see my parents pass because I was afraid of it, so I'd probably see my parents pass before I would actually come out as gay. Um, I would probably... If I were to come out to my parents, I would probably bring them a lot of shame and, um, and guilt and all this stuff. And so that terrified me. Um, through, um, through the years, I lived in a complete lie. Um, I started, I moved out in rebellion. You know, I wanted to move away from my parents and I wanted to live my own life. And a part of that was turning to drugs, um, at first recreationally, and then um, to literally get by. Um, and one of those things that I found while um, doing drugs was I'm not fully being happy. I'm literally choosing to, to be depressed all the time. Um, and so I decided one night that 
I was going to come out to my brother. So I came out to my brother next day, came out to a friend, next day came out to another friend. Then in that whole week, I came out to my whole family. Um, family, friends, everyone now knew what was going on. And um, that was scary. Um, because also no one in my family, no one in my culture ever did that. Um, I didn't have family members who were gay and open, maybe gay, but definitely never talked about. Um, even sexuality was never talked about in my family. Um, you just got married and you had babies and that was the order. No one talked about how that happened, but you kind of figure it out. Um, <laughs> So um, I, took, I took the chance, and I came out. And I was surprised. My brothers were actually pretty loving. Um, my mom was incredibly loving. She cried. She gave me a big hug and told me how much she loved me. One of the things my dad said was he created five perfect men who love women and worked hard for their family, and then there's you. Um, and that crushed me. Um, not only did I feel alone most of my life, but now I'm actually shown that I'm set apart in a different way, and this isn't okay. Um, and I wanted to rebel even more, and that's exactly what I did. Um, so once I came out, in, in L.A., it's freedom of expression. You do what makes you happy. You love people who you love. And I, so I did, and... Because I came out at 26 years old, I'm now 30. So at 26 when I came out, um, I wanted to express myself. And I wanted to throw myself into every situation that I could, primarily sexually. And I did that. And the more and more of those experiences I accumulated, the more and more I wanted. Um, I wanted to throw myself into more situations. And um, I was really fortunate. I work uh, in a company called Equinox where I met Ryan and Jill who are standing in the front uh, or sitting. Um, and through those friendships, um, I specifically met Ryan who we were really close before I came out. Um, and then as I came out, I, I knew he was a Christian and he was really the only um, person with that faith um, that at least was open about it. Um, and so I remember one night, he's making a face, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look at him. Um, <laughs> um, so one night, I came out to him uh, in a car, and I was really surprised by his reaction because he grew up in a very similar kind of culture that I did. No one really talked about homosexuality, and it was really looked uh, down upon. And he did something really interesting. He actually was really accepting. Um, so not only does he carry this um, name of a Christian, um, and he's my close friend at the time, but now he's being really loving. Um, and that was great. I felt accepted. Um, and that I, I just felt comfortable in front of him. And that was my first kind of um, little bite, I guess, of, of what, what, what loving God is like. Um, so again, just throwing myself into different relationships, and I was literally in 
uh, a middle of a relationship and I got a call one day that uh, my mom was in the hospital. She had gotten massively sick. Um, she was in the hospital for um, heart failure. And my mom, Italian Catholic, <coughs> does not complain, does not uh, talk about how sick she is. She does, does what she has to do. Uh, she's a homemaker and that's it. And for the first time I saw her in a very vulnerable spot and I wanted to try so hard to help her out. And I couldn't because I wasn't a doctor, I didn't have all the answers, and I wasn't God. Um, and through those times, through those nights, I stayed at the hospital with her, and I actually heard her pray one specific night. And it wasn't about her, she wasn't praying for her own health, she was praying that all seven of her kids would just be watched and looked over by God, that he would just keep us safe, that he would just um, take care of us, if she were to pass. Um, shortly after, my mom got uh, released out of the hospital, but I was really broken. Um, I felt really, really lost, and all I wanted to do was turn to more drugs, I wanted to turn to more partying, I wanted to uh, turn to more relationships. Um, and I remember receiving a text from Ryan at the time just saying, hey, I love you, and I'm praying for you. I just want you to know that. And I at first reacted. Um, I didn't want to be prayed for. Um, he didn't answer, but I saw him later on, and it, it was just different. Um, I saw that he actually cared, and he was sticking through that with me. Um, there was kind of a whole weekend where it was surrounded around Mother's Day. Um, we got to visit uh, Brad. It was the very first time I got to meet him. This was three years ago. First time I got to meet him was his birthday party at his house. Um, Ryan invited Jill and I uh, to spend uh, just some time enjoying uh, his friends that he had made at Restored. So we went. And I, you know, I had tattoos, my nose was pierced, I had a septum piercing, and he, I was like, are you sure you want me to be in this house? Um, are you sure you want, like, your Christian friends to see us? Um, you have a death wish for us. And we literally said, uh, sure. Um, so we went to Brad's birthday party, and I mean, literally walking up to the door, I was like, they're going to impale me and probably burn me. Um, I was going to die tonight because um, I was I knew a little bit about what the stereotype of a Christian was, and that's they hate gays and they think they're holy. Um, but I decided to go in anyways, and they were so completely kind. They were um, really interested in getting to know me and what I do for a living, how old I am, uh, what's family life like. And it was different because I actually was interested in sharing that with them. Um, and we, we spent a few hours, I think, there and just getting to talk with a lot of the people. Um, the next day, they, uh, Ryan and Jill um, loved me so well, they came and had dinner with my family for Mother's Day and got to celebrate with my mom. The next day, we went um, 
to celebrate with Jill's family at the cemetery that Jill's mother was buried at. Um, and so it was just a whole weekend where the three of us kind of came together um, and really threw ourselves in kind of what the what our day-to-day uh, -day life was like, what we got to saw, see in our own families and share that together. Um, and it dawned on me like, okay, you have really good friends. Um, Ryan has just been really, really kind to you. Uh, Ryan, I now want to um, check out this church that you go to because I, I really care about you. And a part of me wants to make sure he's okay. And a part of me uh, just, wants to, just wants to love on him. And I just want to, you know, do that for him. And so we went, um, it was May, May 15th, May 15th, 2016. And the very first sermon was about family. And, of course, I, I had rebelled for my family. I really didn't want anything to do um, with my dad. Um, and everything that I was doing with my family was out of rebellion. This is me. This is who I am. I'm gay and I'm proud. And you're going to see that. Um, and that sermon rocked me. Um, I don't know what specifically was said that that really hit me, but um, I just remember I had cried later on so much that I was actually getting a fever, um, and I didn't know what was going on, and I went back the next week, and it was about fin financial issues, and um, it was about uh, idolizing our jobs. It was about friendships and relationships, and I'm just like, I keep going back week after week, and I keep feeling this weird tension in my heart. I don't know why I keep going back, but I, um, there's something about this that I just want to understand more. Um, and it was through that time I was able to share a lot of what I'm basically telling you um, about the relationships. I was able to share with some of the um, leaders and some of the people who were just attending Restored LA. And every single time they prayed for me, they didn't necessarily give me any key words. They didn't pray the gay away, which I thought they would. Um, all they did was, um, Lord, love your child. You're identified in him, and he wants to know you. Um, that was the constant two different things that I heard when they would pray for me. Um, and I finally was able to sit down with Brad and have the hard conversation about um, culture and what I thought and um, what it looks like to be same-sex attracted and a Christian because at that point I wanted to put I wanted to put my life in Jesus I wanted to give it all to him um, but there was this hang-up I'm gay what am I gonna do with this I've I've hit it for 26 years and I want to experience a marriage uh, with a man, and I want to be in love. And what I'm understanding is I'm not going to have those things. Um, and the main points that came across were um, God loves me, and that my identity is in him first and foremost, and that above all sin, besides sexuality, my greed, whatever it is, all God wants is to know me and wants that I, for me to know him. And that was insane for me because I was having this desire to know him. 
but I was having this hang-up. And I was holding on to this hang-up more than he was holding on to this hang-up. What, what do I do with that? Like, how, how is that possible? Um, so I decided to, I wanted to make that step and give my life to Jesus. And I was so fearful because I wasn't sure what the rest of my life was going to look like. And so I gave God about a year to kind of prove himself. I'm not going to jump into relationships. I'm not going to talk to a guy. I'm not going to look at a guy um, so that God can kind of prove himself uh, worthy. And um, it was rocky. It was, um, I definitely failed a few times. I um, found myself in a deeper, darker place of just not trusting him as a father and how is he going to, um, how is he going to fix this? How is he going to keep me protected? Um, and I uh, found myself, I was invited at a um, Christian wedding uh, of some friends, and I also specifically chose not to drink that night. And um, later on in the night, during the um, reception, I was walking around and I felt this kind of anxiety building up. And I just prayed, um, God, what is, what is this? Uh, just guide me through this process. And I literally feel like I blacked out in that moment and I found myself walking down towards the altar. I literally feel like I woke up and found myself in that place. Um, and I instantly just started bawling. Um, I looked around at the chairs and no one was there. My family, my friends, the husband that I would one day want to put that ring on isn't there. And I, the guy that I would want to put a ring on my finger wouldn't be there. And that wrecked me. Um, how can this happen? I've done everything perfectly. I've um, tried really, really hard. And all I want is this. Why are, why are you doing this to me? Um, and I literally feel like in that moment, he lifted my eyes and showed me, oh. <laughs> okay. Uh, I feel like in that moment, he showed me, this is where you're going to find me. Um, in the moments where you're going to look um, for, that, for that moment that you think is going to be perfect, you're going to find me um, because I'm going to be much better. Um, the perfect person to give you that ring is going to be me, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done on the cross for you. What better of a commitment that is. <coughs> Gosh, it literally gets me every time. Um, so it was in that moment that I did decide that I wanted to make Jesus my husband. And I went through the emotions. Um, God, do you know what I did in my past? Um, God, I am not like the men and the women in my church who love the opposite sex and can't get married. Um, God, I will never be enough for you. <coughs> and he constantly reminds me in those moments, you don't have to do those things. You are my son and I love you and I've made you perfectly in my image. And you are the bride that I've always wanted you to be. 
and you can rest in those promises. And those are the things that I con constantly have to remember that no matter, um, no matter the times that I, um, that I fall short, which is all the time, the times that I um, will look to other things, he constantly gets my vision again and it is so beautiful. Even, in, even being here in South Africa, he has shown his beauty to me and being so romantic with me of uh, finding those intimate moments that I have always longed for. But now I have a father and husband who I can have those things for eternity. Um, whoops. This will always be hard. Um, I've prayed that I would one day be straight. I, I don't know what that's going to look like, and I am submitting to his kingship if that, if that does happen. Um, but I think a lot like you who are married, um, I also have to um, choose to find grace in those moments so that I can love him as my husband, just like I would assume you have to find grace to love your spouse. Um, and that is something that I have to constantly remember. And that is something that I have to constantly also bring to community um, so that I can re be reminded of those things, so that I can be vulnerable in those moments and say, um, I'm leading a group of men um, in my community group, in my life group, and a lot of those times are hard. Um, but Jesus has also shown me just how much he's pursued me, and that is the first thing that I've always wanted, that I've always cared about, and that I continue to look for is his pursuit for me. And I, was, I will always run to that. And that is just my constant prayer, um, is a life full of submission and just a continuation of finding joy in the smallest moments with him. Um, th so it's, it's been a year that I've dedicated myself to celibacy. It's not perfect. Um, I get to see a lot of my friends getting married and continue their life in what I've always wanted. Um, but for today, God is enough. Jesus is enough because of what he's called me into. Um, and that's a, life of, um, that's a life of a marriage with the one man that I can trust, uh, first and foremost and fully. So that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bro. Um, love you, dude. Thank you. Um, yeah, Paula leads the gospel community. Uh, I, I, we could tell stories all night, um, but I need to wrap things up here. But my favorite story happened two weeks ago when a married couple in their 50s called him when their marriage was blowing up because they were having serious issues. Didn't call me. Call Paolo. And he comes and loves them, prays for them, and counsels them. Like, that's it. <laughs> I could, could do that all day long. So, let's do the last few things. I got two more misconceptions, and then we'll uh, wrap up with why this is so complicated, and then pray if, if, you're, if you're down to stick it out. Uh, we'll be quick. Misconceptions, being gay is a choice. Um, I don't think biblically there's a good argument to say that being gay 
is only a choice. Uh, there is no scientific evidence that there is a gay gene currently. I believe that Genesis 3, the fall of man, wrecked everything. I have desires that are not godly. I was born with desires that are not righteous. We need to be honest about those. I have unrighteous, unholy, wicked desires to have sex with women that are not my wife. I was born that way. didn't choose that. doesn't mean I get to go do that. But, but I have desires that are not natural, glorifying to God. So we put those to death. And um, There's so much. Next one. Um, the goal for gay Christians is to become straight Christians. It's just not. That's not the ultimate desire. God calls us to holiness, not to heterosexuality. I pray for my children that they would know Jesus. Rarely do I pray that they'd get married. I think there's an, at least in the American culture, you got parents praying day and night that God would bring them a godly spouse. If it comes to mind, I'll pray for that, but I want them to know Jesus more than anything else. I don't care if they get married. In fact, I've, 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 I've told God that if I have a son or a daughter who is gay, yet submits to the kingship of Jesus, to denies their natural passions and struggles all of their life, but knows him deeply and loves and cherishes him deeply, I'll take that over a straight boy or girl who doesn't know Jesus. Any day. This ought to bring us as parents much more pleasure than this. Holiness, not heterosexuality. So why is it so confusing? I think church culture makes it confusing. I think our secular culture makes it confusing. Joseph Hellerman says that one of the biggest issues is that we've idolized marriage in the church. He says the problem with that is 1 Corinthians 7. Joseph Hellerman in his book, When the Church Was a Family, he says that the, the church culture generally, it says, hey, you got to get married. And then goes, what should we do with all these single people? Let's put them in a singles ministry. <laughs> Joseph Hellerman reads 1 Corinthians 7 and he goes, Paul is doing the opposite. Paul is like, man, I wish you could all be single like me so you could serve Jesus and not be distracted. What should we do with all these married people? <laughs> man, their minds are so divided and confused, man. Marriage is not the goal. Don't assume you're called to marriage. You're called to Jesus. He may call you to marriage. He may not. Marriage it needs to die as an idol. And can I beg you, those of you who are married, can you just be brutally honest about your marriages to single people? <laughs> I thought I'd have to say more. Um <laughs> When Paolo comes over for dinner with Sarah and I, I'm not like, hey, honey. Hey, kids. I'm like, dude, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> my five-year-old threw spaghetti at me tonight. It was about to go down. Sarah and I just got into an argument about you coming over because we haven't gotten enough time to, together this week. Sorry, dude. Paolo shouldn't be going home going, I wish I could get married. He should just be like, I'm so glad I have Jesus. <laughs> 
we need to be brutally honest about our marriages. The other devastating thing is that the church oftentimes, and when I say the church, I'm not talking about Harbor City. Ben, you guys are amazing. <laughs> Legitimately. I'm just talking about church culture in general. We've, we've made church into a business rather than a family. So when we go to the LGBTQ community, we go, hey, that's all wrong. Come join us for 90 minutes on a Sunday. It's devastating. We are welcoming and inviting men and women to leave their life to join our family. Not a business that's open for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. We've got to get that clear. We've been adopted. We're now brothers and sisters. We do life together. It's important. Our culture says that self-expression is the essence of being human. It's a lie. Be yourself. That's what makes it so difficult. Be yourself. The question is, which self should I be? You and I are a mess of contradictions. Like me on Tuesdays or me on Thursdays? <laughs> me at 8 a.m. or me at 5 p.m.? Like who am I supposed to be? Tim Keller brilliantly says, it's just all defined by culture. Take an Anglo-Saxon warrior in Britain in 800 A.D., And the guy's wrestling with this desire in himself. He wants to kill people to get in his way, but he's also gay. He wants to have sex with men. What's he going to do? He's going to suppress his homosexuality and say, that's bad, that's not me. I'm a warrior and kill people and be celebrated in his culture. He says, take a man, 22 years old, in New York City or Cape Town or wherever. He feels these two desires. I want to hurt people who get in my way and offend me. But I also want to have sex with men. We'd say, hey, you got to go see a counselor for the anger issues. Be yourself. Who are you? Let Jesus define who you are. Not your mess. You'll be so confused. We want to end with prayer. Um, we're going to give you a time just to, if you, if you got to go, you got to go. Um, but... But I, I want to give us just time to receive prayer. And the, the prayer isn't going to be like, hey, if you're wrestling with same-sex attraction, come up, let's pray for you. It's like, hey, come up, unless you have all this figured out. You love Jesus perfectly and love people perfectly. Like we all have areas to grow. I think for those of us that aren't homosexual, we aren't gay tonight, um, I'm, I'm just asking you, where do you need to repent not do you need to repent. Where do you need to repent? It may be pride. maybe self-righteousness. It may be for jokes. It may be for lack of empathy. Of trying to put yourself in the shoes of others as Jesus commands you to do. Maybe it's for compromising truth of the scriptures. Where, where, where do you need to repent and can I beg you to become a safe person for those who are gay become a safe person if no one's ever come out to you and said hey man I gotta tell you something I'm gay I'm not gonna make it a rule but, but, but I think that might say something maybe, maybe you're just not safe enough how do we become safe people we sit under the cross of Jesus we just sit We sit at the cross. We see our Savior who is crucified. Why? Not for gay people, for you. He had to die for your sin. 
The only chance you had of having reconciliation with the king of kings was the king, bloody, beaten, killed. Humble the mess out of you. Yet he loved to do it for you. He was glad to do it for you. Galatians 1, the apostle Paul says that it pleased the father to reveal the son to him. Be safe by knowing that you are not better than anybody. For those of you who are gay, you have same-sex attraction, however you want to say it. If you've never told someone, I'd beg you to tell someone. It doesn't need to be tonight. Let it be this week, this month. Share it. Bring it into the light. Bring it to Grant. Bring it to Shell. Bring it to Kimmy, Brendan, one of the leaders. They'll love you. Bring it into the light. Don't let it sit in darkness. And I'll end with this. Jesus loves you deeply. I know you don't hear it enough. None of us hear it enough. He loves you. He didn't make a mistake with you. You are an image bearer of God. He's pleased with you, not because you're awesome, but because he is. Not because your works are perfect, but because his works are perfect. So let us continue to grow into a culture of loving men and women, whether they are very different than us or not. You want to pray it up? Yeah. Let me pray, and then we'll bring some prayer counselors up, and then I'll... uh, Yeah, go from there. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you that you are the friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. Friend to tax collectors and prostitutes, Lord. Jesus, would you help us, one, experience that love, that love that changes us, that love that doesn't demand change to meet us, but meets us where we're at and changes us. Please let us pray that you'd make us men and women who are friends to the outcasts, friends to those who don't know you, friends to those who live lives so different than we do. I thank you for the men and women in this room. Not a single one of them is here on accident. Not a single one, Lord. I pray, Spirit, that you would do the work that, that, that you alone can do. I pray that we would would just be honest right now as we go into prayer. There's not going to be a cool music and dim the lights or whatever. We just need you, Jesus. We just need you to change us. We need you to, to show up and meet us where we're at so that we can enjoy you more, love you more, obey you more. Jesus, please. Thank you. In your beautiful name. Amen.